Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. EJ, this is by far uh, my most dreaded day of the year. (laughs) This is the day when I hopelessly, disastrously convince myself once again that Brandon Ayuk is going to put up a million yards. I know he's talented. I love him to death. One of my favorite receivers in the league. And every single report out of training camp, every single day, is how dominant he is. And I'm falling for it again, EJ. I am falling for it. I am letting Kyle Shanahan put my heart in his hands so that he can crush it repeatedly for his own enjoyment, his favorite national pastime, just ruining my life. But here we are. I'm ready to hope again. I'm ready to get hurt again. I just can't quit him. I can't do it, EJ. Can't quit him. There's a football precedent for this. What's that? Charlie Brown and Lucy. Oh, yeah. No, that is that is a documentary on my life and my relationship with Kyle Shanahan. Every yep. year he does this to me. And every year I let him do it. Every year you line up again. You think, nope, he's going to hold the ball down. It's going to be square. <laughs> I'm going to make good contact. And you land on the back of your head every year. Well, today is 49ers Day, and it's not just about the greatness that is Brandon Ayuk. His, his future Hall of Fame career. It's about the entire 49ers as a whole and the offseason that they've had, everything that they've done getting us up to this point. Keep in mind, we're recording this probably like four or five days into the start of their training camp. I'm actually going out to 49ers training camp uh, a few days from now. I'll be up there for a whole week uh, doing, a, doing an episode up there. So by the time this goes live, I think I'll actually be back from 49ers training camp. <laughs> So I'll have even more information, but um, this has been a rather eventful offseason for the Niners. Uh, you know, a lot of storylines that we've had to follow. Some of them are not even fully wrapped up yet, and we start the season in like a month. So we'll see where that goes. But uh, it has been nothing short of entertaining up in the Bay Area. Uh, we're going to start, obviously, as we do with every episode, with our little 2021 recap. You know, what happened last year to kind of get us to this point. And the 49ers were also a little bit of an up-and-down team last year as well. They only finished 10-7. and I use the term loosely only. A lot of teams would kill for that. But you also got the sense towards the back half of the year, especially the last five games where they went 4-1, and that they were not the team that you wanted to play against. 
they, for lack of a better word, got their shit together. The run game was dominant. Um, you know, Jimmy was playing well enough. The defense, especially uh, in some games, like D'Amico Ryan's just was calling brilliant games and demolishing people. They were the exact wrong team that you wanted to face in January because they could run the ball and play defense. And then they got all the way to the conference championship game. You know, they they beat a lot of good teams to get there, including the Ford or not the 49ers, including the Packers, again, as is tradition. 49ers beating the Packers in the playoffs. And they were really on the cusp of going to the Super Bowl again, even with average at best quarterback play. And so even though they, again, only finished 10 and 7 and only were third in the division. Last year, I would also consider to be one of the best coaching jobs that Kyle Shanahan has ever done because when it really mattered, that is the last quarter of the season and in the playoffs, they were beating the hell out of people physically, emotionally, execution wise. Like they were, as I mentioned, the last team you wanted to play against. And I think that you can take that formula from last year and potentially soup it up even more this year because Jimmy Garoppolo is no longer the quarterback. The variance may be higher, but the ceiling is so much more astronomically high this year because of that changing quarterback and because all of the elements that got them knocking on the door of the Super Bowl, again, should still be there. So that's the long way of saying, for me, on paper, this should be one of the most exciting 49ers seasons that they've had in a while. And that's saying a lot because they've gone to a Super Bowl recently. Yeah, I think the up and down part is the part that 49ers fans are going to have to get used to. They're already used to it from last year. Like you said, it was an up and down team, a little bit down in the beginning, came together really well, strongly at the end, and started mashing people. And that was a lot of fun to see that late season run. But the variance that they've gotten out of Jimmy at the quarterback position has not been very large, right? He's He's been average, but he's had very few games that were um, kind of like Kirk Cousin heaters. Like all of a sudden, mm. Kirk Cousins will just throw up, you know, 425 yards and four touchdowns. And you're like, what? Like Jimmy didn't have very many games like that. He provided really consistent play for the most part at the quarterback position, but it wasn't consistently high, which is why they wanted to increase that ceiling at the game's most important position. However, in doing that, you have to start what is essentially a rookie in Trey Lance. I know he was on the roster last year. I know he's in the meeting rooms. I know he came in for package plays. I know he even got a start. That's not really a rookie year's worth of playing in the NFL, and he's going to have that this year. And rookie years are tough on NFL quarterbacks. I don't care who they are. Peyton Manning's rookie year wasn't great. Justin Herbert's rookie year was record-setting, still didn't win a ton of games, had a lot of good quarterback play in there, and that's, I think, what 49ers fans at the top end can hope for. But it's going to be more of a ride. There are going to be more ups and downs. They're not going to get that consistency that they've had with Jimmy G, even if it was middle-of-the-road consistency. They're going to have high highs. That's going to be super exciting because Trey Lance can do a lot. And they're going to have some low lows and think, oh, man, Jimmy would have kept that drive going. And they would be right for the most part. So we're going to have to see if it balances out over the long term. Another thing is this team has to stay healthy. 
that has been a consistent issue recently. Um, you know, we've seen in recent years, Jimmy G have several injuries, major injuries that kept him out. You know, Bosa got hurt last year. Uh, the running backs just consistently went like it was very similar to the Ravens, how they lost like their top four backs. Same thing happened to the 49ers. In fact, a big reason why Debo started to get literally more carries in the back half of the year than he got receptions was because he was the best healthy running back they had on the roster and he was a receiver. So it wasn't just the fact that he's really good at it of why they were kind of forcing him into that role, which then pissed him off because he's like, hey, I'm going to get beat up before I can get paid here, which he did just get paid a few days before we recorded this. It was the fact that they literally had nobody else to do it. Like even Eli Mitchell, who was having a phenomenal rookie year, only played like 11 games. So I think they have to stay healthy and they have to get Trey Lance to reach peaks that Jimmy, quite frankly, never could. And if Jimmy could reach those peaks, A, they wouldn't have drafted Lance in the first place. And B, they might have already won two Super Bowls in the last three years because the team as a whole has 100% been ready to go. They've just either gotten held back by durability or quarterback play, or in Jimmy's case, both. Both is both is the key with Jimmy G. I, you know, he is what he is, but that's pretty good. He is a guy that can lead drives, continue drives. He hasn't been able to stay on the field, and he's not the guy typically at the end of the game with everything on the line against a high-scoring offense that you want dropping back and throwing the ball a lot. That is, that's not his forte. So he's almost like a between the twenties quarterback. I'm not saying he can't throw in the red zone, but it just feels like one of those players that, you know, between the twenties, he's great. And he gets in the red zone and with Jimmy G it's not the twenties. He's fine over the whole field, but it's that sort of, okay, now we're in crunch time in the fourth quarter. We really need the quarterback to elevate and make a bunch of crazy plays because that's what it comes down to in the NFL. He just doesn't have that extra gear. Hence, they went out and got Trey Lance, who does have the physical tools, but is going to have to add in that consistency because one without the other, like super highlight plays without the ability to sustain drives is not going to play in the NFL. Um, the highlight plays are awesome, whether they're on college tape or whether they're in the NFL, but you need the ability to drive an offense consistently down the field and get something. And he's going to have to establish that and then, you know, be able to whip it 65 yards in the air off one foot and hit Brandon Ayuk for the touchdown. I think your your instincts about him being a good between the 20s quarterback is actually kind of bang on because when you look at uh, like red zone touchdown percentage, they were top five in the league in terms of red zone touchdown percentage, bottom eight in the league in terms of passing touchdown percentage. So when they got in the red zone, it wasn't it wasn't Jimmy that was closing things out. You know, it was one of their eight running backs or, you know, Kittle on a shovel screen. You know, it was that kind of stuff that was able to close the deal, especially in the low red zone. Not necessarily, say, in Buffalo, Josh Allen threading the needle or, you know, hitting a perfect ball in the back pylon. They're hoping that Trey Lance can do that kind of stuff for them. In addition to, oh, by the way, being a really good red zone option as a ball carrier himself, which at times he was brought in to do that and score in the red zone with his legs because, again, Jimmy just couldn't quite, couldn't quite get it done with his arm. 
Now, looking at the uh, the power structure of the 49ers, very stable organization. Um, I will say they've gotten a lot... See, bloated is not the correct term. More <laughs> voluminous, I, I should say, at the coordinator and up level over the last few years. John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan have been there for six years now already. can hardly believe it. They've been there for that long. But they have no fewer than five coordinators. They have assistant head coach, well, coordinator level, I should say. Uh, assistant head coach and running backs coach, Anthony Lynn, not a coordinator, but still assistant head coach. So he's at the quasi-coordinator level. This is his first year there. They have an offensive line and uh, offensive line coach and run game coordinator, Chris Forrester, fourth year with the organization, year one at run game coordinator. They have a passing game coordinator, Bobby Slowick, six year with the org, uh, year one as pass game coordinator. So he's been there with Shanahan since year one here. Uh, and then they have defensive coordinator, just defensive coordinator, D'Amico Ryans, sixth year with the organization, year two at D.C. He's been phenomenal for them and eventually will be a head coach himself, probably by this time next year, I would imagine he'll be a head coach. And then special teams coordinator Brian Schneider, year one with the organization as well. So what's interesting about it is this seems like a lot. This seems like a lot of names at the top. Wait till we get to the Cardinals tomorrow. <laughs> it is. If this seems like a whole bunch of chefs in one kitchen. Boy, you ain't seen nothing yet. Arizona makes this look like a cakewalk. I think Shanahan and Cliff go down to Cabo and hang out and go, you know what? Let's just mess with them. Let's just throw a bunch of names up there, scramble some titles, chop things in half, use a lot of hyphens. Yeah, let's just make them try and keep up. Like Bill Belichick just says, we're not going to tell anybody anything. We're not telling oh, it's you the anti-Patriots. Right. The Patriots have three guys running the entire building. The, I mean, the, the Niners have three guys just determining what call that they're going to put in on third and seven. And I think it's kind of the same end, right? It's Bill going, I'm not telling you who's doing anything. And Kyle going, I'm telling you so many people that do so many things, your brain's going to overload and they're just going to be able to do their jobs. So it's either too much or not enough. And this is definitely on the too much category. It's getting to be more common splitting the run and pass game, both on the offensive side, as they've done here, and on the defensive side. We're seeing that as well. So it's not out of the ordinary. It's not my favorite trend uh, because it makes it a little harder to follow the thread and assign responsibility for uh, which pieces aren't necessarily meshing because you got you, we've got a run game coordinator and a pass game coordinator. What if what if you send the plan to Trey Lance and it's either or? Any audibles to the run and it doesn't work? Well, who's, that's what I'm kind of wondering. It's whose more fault so because Shanahan they do double calls there, or like I guess in their terminology be can calls, where you're putting in whatever the primary play is, and then they have a can call, or if you get a different look, you can can it to another call. So does that mean that the run game coordinator, Chris Forrester, is putting in his run call, and the pass game coordinator, Bobby Slowick, is putting in his pass call, and then Shanahan's determining which one is the primary, which one's the can call? Or are they asking for just two pass plays in an obvious passing situation? Or do they have, <laughs> like, one-word calls that Lance can just go to based on whatever gets installed that week? Like... I'm sure the the process is somewhere in the middle of all that. But that also makes me wonder, it's like, okay, but how do they do no huddle? 
Like, do, That's a does lot. Lance just control everything? Like, I, I, I have no idea how this is all going to go together. And, then, I mean, who calls protections? Because they have a new quarterback this year and a new center because Brunskill's moving over to center. So it's like, is Brunskill doing protections? Is Lance doing protections? I, I don't know. It's I know that they know, but right. I don't know. <laughs> so right. I don't know how to project it. And they're going to make sure we don't know because they're just going to say all this stuff is up there and somebody's doing everything that needs to be done. Thank you and drive home safely. Yeah. So when we get into notable coaches on offense, some really recognizable names. Brian Greasy is the quarterback's coach for San Francisco. Uh, 11-year playing career and a former Monday Night Football broadcaster, as we know, also the son of NFL QB Bob Greasy. I'm not sure about this it'll be really interesting to see and again we're with a lot of position coaches you don't get a ton of feedback sort of real time we'll see how Trey Lance comes along but they also have an assistant QB coach we'll get to in a minute and you know Kyle's going to be very hands-on and I would imagine Bobby Sloak's going to be hands-on as the pass game coordinator so he's got like four people Trey that that is has like four people in his ear who are on so it's going to be tough to pull Brian's role out of that and say oh Brian did a great job with Trey Lance maybe he did maybe he didn't we're not going to know uh but a very recognizable face probably the most recognizable face on this coaching staff to most people because you saw him on Monday Night Football Leonard Hankerson is the wide receivers coach this was a fun one for me five-year career nfl career as a wide receiver he played for four teams i remember scouting leonard hankerson uh he hasn't been out of the league that long and he got into coaching directly you traced his coaching path he went to some he went to high school first and then to umass and then Stephen f austin then ended up hooking on with the 49ers so he's worked his way back through and is back in the nfl as a coach that's cool to see and the aforementioned assistant QB coach, Clay Kubiak. Yes, that last name should ring a bell. Son of longtime NFL coach Gary Kubiak. And Clay's brother, Clint, is the pass game coordinator. Speaking of pass game coordinators, for the Broncos. So it definitely runs in the family with the Kubiaks. On defense and special teams, Johnny Holland is the linebackers coach under Namiko Ryans for the 49ers. 31 years of NFL experience. He was drafted by the Packers in 87. He played seven seasons, all in Green Bay, had 100 tackles or more in his final six. He is both in the Packers and Texas A&M Halls of Fame, which is pretty cool. Mm. Um, very solid linebacker and has been around the game for the last three-plus decades, which is really impressive. The one, This is one I've been waiting to talk about for this whole series. Chris Kosurek, the defensive line coach, simply one of the best young defensive line coaches in the NFL. And I can take young out of that equation. He is one of the best defensive line coaches in the NFL. He's coached Ndamukong Sue for his rookie of the year season, Ziggy Ansa, Robert Quinn, Cameron Wake, Eric Armstead, DeForest Buckner, Nick Bosa in his defensive rookie of the year season. Chris Kusser is a really good defensive line coach and it's an advantage i mentioned this on twitter like a week ago or two weeks ago well it'll be four weeks ago by the time this comes out the 49ers can take chances on reclamation projects on defensive line players because they have chris kosurik they can say oh, yeah. hey i bet there's something there they did with arden key and suddenly arden key became a very key pun intended third down rusher for them a guy that created a lot of pressure and stirred the drink for D'Amico Ryan's on defense on third down 
that's Chris Kosurek. That's his influence. He did it with Maurice Hurst. Uh, they just took a shot on Robert Ngendiche because, hey, very talented guy. Let's see if our very talented defensive line coach can unlock that guy and make him a contributor. And they're going to do it over and over again, and it's because of Chris Kosurek. Nick Sorensen uh, is the defensive assistant. He's got 20 years of NFL experience, 10 as a coach, 10 as a player. Love the symmetry. He was a safety for the Rams, the Jags, and the Browns. Daryl Tapp, there's a name that folks in the Pacific Northwest will recognize most likely. He's their assistant defensive line coach. He had a 12-year NFL career, started out with Seahawks, was drafted by them, Eagles, Washington, the Lions, Saints, and Bucks. So one of those very well-traveled players who probably picked things up at every stop and has now turned that into a coaching career. And Daniel Bullocks is the safeties coach, former round two pick by the Lions out of Nebraska, played four years in the NFL as a safety himself, is now coaching safeties under D'Amico Ryans in San Francisco. So lots of experience, um, some real stars, uh, Kasurik probably at the head of that class in terms of stars, and a lot of focus on defense. We certainly named more folks on defense than we did on offense, but they've got a lot of great coaches there. You know how I know that Leonard Hankerson is a great wide receiver coach? If you can get Andy Isabella drafted out of UMass higher than DK Metcalf, you're a great receiver coach. I am you, so excited to see what he does with Ayuk. Or you paid Steve Kime. Well, okay, okay I'm not going to take that off the table, mm. but I'm just saying. I'm just saying. If you can get Andy Isabella as like a top, what is he, top 50 pick, something like yeah. that. Like you're. You're pretty we had, fucking good at your job. Yeah, we had this conversation pre-show because you said UMass, and I was like, "Does did he and Andy Isabella cross? And it turns out Leonard Hangerson's last year at UMass was Andy Isabella's senior season or last season right before he got drafted. So yes, indeed, um, probably one of the reasons he got the Stephen F. Austin job. So when you develop players, especially at small schools, you will get noticed and get another chance to go do it at other schools. So really interesting um, that, again, he started, he went his first year out of the NFL, he coached wide receivers at a high school, or he was an offensive assistant at a high school, I think, then became wide receivers coach. Yeah. yeah. So really started right at the bottom out of the NFL and rose very quickly through the ranks and seems to be a very good wide receivers coach because if he wasn't, uh, Shanahan would not have him in his program this quickly. And I also, not to go on a complete tangent about Leonard Hankerson coaching in high school. So he coached at Palmer Trinity School. He's a graduate of St. Thomas Aquinas, which is a legendary yes. high school football program. So he wasn't even at the top program in Florida. No. You know, and St. Thomas Aquinas, by the way, was where, like, for instance, the Bosa brothers went to school. Like, that school in Fort Lauderdale pumps out ridiculous NFL talent. And he didn't even start there. He started out at, like, a mid-level Florida program and then worked his way up to the NFL. So he's he's grinded. He's He's paid his dues as an NFL assistant. Happy to see him there. Now, let's talk about free agency or really the kind of off-season shuffle of the roster in general. We're going to talk about the losses, the retentions, and the additions kind of all at once and, and talk about the overarching theme here about what they were doing because going into free agency, they really did not have a lot of money. They had about a million dollars of cap space going into free agency. They were very much up against it. One of, I believe the five or six lowest amounts of available cap. 
So they had to make some moves to kind of open up some money. They restructured Armstead. They restructured Kittle. And they had to make some some pretty tough decisions. Looking at their losses, you know, Lakin Tomlinson went to the Jets because he got paid $13.3 million. It's not that they didn't love Lakin Tomlinson, but they had some young, uh, some young guards on the roster that, A, they believe in, and B, they thought would be significantly cheaper for hopefully at least 80% of what Tomlinson was for them. So Aaron Banks, he's going to slide in at Lakin's old spot at guard. And then eventually they drafted Burford as well. But they had to make a decision. Let Lakin Tomlinson go and let DJ Jones go to the Broncos for another $10 million so that they could re-sign Debo at $24 million a year is what it ended up being because the market got you know super inflated. And so that they could also sign Charvarius Ward to be their new number one corner at $13.5 million. And then also re-signing Hassan Ridgeway to replace DJ Jones at $1.8 million compared to $10 million. So they went significantly cheaper on the interior defensive line and interior offensive line so that they could upgrade at corner and, and retain their star, I don't even call him just a receiver, weapon at this point. So again, some very tough decisions had to be made, but because they were up against it with the cap, Arden Key, no longer there. Contavia Street, no longer there. Jaquiski Tart, excuse me, no longer there. Tom Compton, Kawan Williams. They just couldn't afford to keep everybody. And I think that, um, you know, looking at who they did keep and who they got out of free agency, like Aziz Alshair, really good linebacker for $4 million. I mentioned Debo. Um, they kept Michael Hasty at less than a million. They kept Jason Verrett at, at roughly a million, which is a great deal for healthy Verrett. Jeff Wilson at a million. Um, you know, Kerry Hyder, they got from the Seahawks at one and a half. Kim Diche just taking a complete flyer on him at a million. You can see where they prioritized putting their money and where they prioritized letting guys walk. And, you know, it wasn't a fact of we don't like Tomlinson or, or we don't like, uh, you know, Kwan Williams. It was just the fact that they... In the age of the salary cap, unless you're the New Orleans Saints, you got to pick and choose. And they picked and chose. And in the end, I kind of agree with their decisions. You got to keep Depot and you got to upgrade a corner with Ward. I completely agreed with their entire approach here. Traverius Ward's the one I want to talk about. He is a very thoughtful snag by the 49ers and a very purposeful one. I mean, 13 and a half million is, is not like, oh, we'll see if he works. They targeted him. They understood it. I love them making that match. I made a similar match in my head when I looked at available free agents. They grabbed him, and it cemented it in my mind, and I went, yep, that's a really good pull for them. They prioritized it. They went and got him. He's going to be a stud for D'Amico Ryans in that defense. He is what they need at corner, and good on them for getting it done there every team has free agency targets every year and they don't always get to sign them one reason or another player doesn't want to come money doesn't work out they get pipped by another team whatever it was they put their sights on Traverius Ward and they got him and that's gonna pay dividends and it may look like oh Traverius Ward and a bunch of other shots but the other shots are largely defensive linemen that they can give to Kosurik and say, tune him up, right? And we're not 
We're going to give you pieces that don't cost a lot, but you can do good work with them. Fun fact, Kosurik's already worked with Kerry Hyder. He worked with him in Detroit. You're right. I forgot Kerry Hyder was there. Uh-huh. So yeah, that makes he knew and was like, oh, yeah, we can get Kerry Hyder for a million and a half. Make that happen. I know that guy. I can get some very useful snaps out of him. Uh, so, again, just saying where are our strengths, not only on the player personnel side, but on the coaching side, where can we take low risk, low dollar shots that we think will pay off? Where do we really need to press the button hard? Because this guy is a perfect fit for what we want to do. And that's Javarius Ward. Debo, you can't let out of the building. You got to do what you got to do. Uh, he was the heartbeat of that team, especially on offense. But I really think that entire team looked to him in crunch time because they weren't, for the most part, looking to Jimmy. They were like, hey, Jimmy, we need a four-yard completion. And then Debo, we need 25 yards worth of yak. And he could deliver on that. He was the guy that everybody focused on. You can't let that guy out of the building. So they had to do what they had to do money-wise. Lincoln Tomlinson hurts for sure. Very talented guard. But they think they have a replacement plan, and we'll see how that works. Overall, really solid offseason for them. Might not be the super exciting big-ticket free agency ad that a lot of fans want, but in terms of keeping the folks you need to keep and getting in this case, one really key addition from the outside. It's good work by them. What do you want to bet that D'Amico walked into into the, the front office roughly 48 hours after their last game and said, please, for the love of God, get me a corner that can play press man. And yeah. they said, yes, sir, we will go get you the best corner we can find that can press people at the line of scrimmage. Not that Charverius Ward is like the biggest dude ever, um, but... In terms of feisty press corners that just have a knack for getting their hands into your breastplate and just holding you up and pushing you into the boundary and just being sticky. Like we, uh, Roger McCreary, who we loved coming out of Auburn, ended up going to Tennessee. McCreary's best case scenario when I was doing my report on him was Charverius Ward because they play similarly. Again, not super big dudes, but just the feisty, aggressive stickiness because D'Amico wants dudes that can man up and just hold up and be physical for two and a half seconds while he calls all these crazy ass pressures. That's what he really was missing last year was corners that could survive on islands. And Javarius Ward is going to be that guy for them. So great, great signing. And if we have to swap a great guard for a great corner these days, you, you kind of got to take the great corner. It just is what it is. Um, let's go to the draft. This was a very intriguing draft class. Not my favorite draft class in the division. It's definitely a little bit of a boom or bust type class. But if they boom, which is possible, if they boom, they're getting a very good starting edge. Probably a very, very good starting offensive lineman that has tackle or guard versatility. They're getting a number three receiver with a ton of upside. They're getting a rotational running back that could start games for you and probably be pretty effective as well. And there's some high upside DBs as well on day two. So uh, again, it's an if. This class is definitely more of an if than other classes, even in this division. But if it works out, holy shit, this class is going to be good. <laughs> I liked the first four. The first four picks in this class, I liked. 
and I was solid with it. I was like, yep, okay, that's all right, that's good. And then they went to their scouts. <laughs> they went farther afield on their choices. Not to say I don't like players that got picked in the second half of this draft for them. I just liked the first four more, and it made more sense to me. So starting at the top, round two pick, pick 61, Drake Jackson. They list him as linebacker. I'll say edge out of USC. Big, rangy, athletic guy who could take over games in stretches. Didn't do it consistently, but if you want one that he did, go look at uh, Washington State from his last year at USC versus the versus the Cougars. He had a probably six or seven play stretch in there, even versus Abraham Lucas, where he was just unblockable. He had kind of rope-a-doped them for two, two and a half quarters, and then he just went, <laughs> I'm here and I'm going to crush. And if they can, again, if Kosura can get him moving in that way, if D'Amico Ryans can pull the lever at the right time, he's got some of the highest physical potential in this class of edges. He needs to develop a counter move, a little bit more strength, which is, I usually sound like a broken record with edge players. They almost all need that. But his highs are extremely high. If he ends up playing like that at a regular pace, he's going to be a star for the 49ers. And, and I think what's interesting about him is he was that good and that dominant with his weight fluctuating by like 20 pounds throughout the year. Yeah, like 25. So it's yeah. like, what happens if you're consistently in 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 the place physically that the staff wants you to be uh, and you stay healthy? Like, what, what happens if you are 100% ready to go every single week? Sky's the limit. He was already productive even while being inconsistent in that regard. What happens if they do get him to that spot? He's going to be a plus starting edge that you're getting in the late second round. Yeah, I agree. Round three, pick 93. They get Ty Davis Price, the running back from LSU. This one was a little early for me. I don't dislike Ty Davis Price. He is a bowling ball. He is a tractor. He is a hit you and run over you type. He is built for it, and that's the way he runs. I think you can get players like that later on down i was surprised that they prioritized him this early i think they're one of the few teams that had him in that range uh most teams range for ty davis price probably started about a round later um not super dynamic but they saw something they really liked out of him pick him up in the top of the third round their second round three pick I liked a lot better. This is pick 105 down in the compensatory pick range. Danny Gray, the wide receiver from SMU, who I don't know if you do this, but when we're looking at this many guys, it's between three and 400 guys a year for the draft, you sort of make assumptions or sometimes you make the wrong association about a guy. And for some reason... Wait, let me guess. You did the same thing I did and you assumed he was 5'9", 180. I assumed he was smaller than he was. <laughs> and not. when I started, I, the first time I watched him, I wasn't watching him. I was watching a defender on the other side, on the opponent from SMU. And this guy at the top of the screen kept getting open. And he was tall and he was fast. And I was like, who the hell is that? Is that some underclassman I haven't heard about? <laughs> Look up the number and it's Danny Gray. I'm like... No, he's towering over that guy. That's not Danny Gray. Danny Gray's 
oh shit, Danny Gray's kind of tall. I had it wrong in my head. He's a very skilled receiver. I am excited for his potential in this offense. I, I got to him way late when I was doing receivers, and I knew that he was like a low 4-3 guy. And in my head, I'm like, okay, SMU, low 4-3. There is zero chance that he's like 6'1", 6'2". Like he's going to be like Andy Isabella. Nope. He is a complete full-size receiver that also happens to be fast as shit with a good catch radius. And when I finally did get to him and did my film study on him, combined with, um, you know, the testing numbers and the measurables and everything like that, he went way up in my receiver rankings way up solely because i i got to him later than most other people and he went up in my rankings as well because of that release game because of his consistency and catch radius again he was getting open all the time and this was a ranked corner that he was playing against i was like man he's He's basically giving him the business. And I was like, why aren't more people talking about Danny Gray? So that pick in the third round, I was absolutely fine with. I'm excited for his spot and his potential in the offense. Round four, pick 134, Spencer Burford, the big, very physically gifted. He played tackle at UTSA. Crazy testing numbers, crazy physical nature to his play looks like he's going to be slotting in at starting guard for them I think he's got guard tackle flexibility I would have given him a first shot at tackle maybe they did I haven't followed where they started him out in rookie minicamp and and then now that we're a week little over a week into practices for training camp but really a player I liked coming out potential wise I thought fourth round was a perfect spot to grab him probably wouldn't have gotten him much later if they'd waited so that's that's sort of the dotted line for me in the Niners draft that's where I like was really solid with their draft liked it and was like great round five pick 172 they get Samuel Womack the cornerback out of Toledo watched him a little bit when I was watching Tyson Anderson the safety from Toledo um didn't feel one way or another about him again we're into the fifth round not sure where they're going to line him up. Uh, round six, pick 187. Uh, Nick Zakelge, the offensive tackle from Fordham. Guess what? Didn't didn't watch any Fordham tape. He was not on my list. So I got nothing to say about him. Round six, again, pick 220. They had three picks in round six. This is the middle one, pick 220. Uh, Kalia Davis, defensive tackle from UCF. I liked some of his tape. And again, if you've got Chris Kosarek, like you're looking at that and going, he's got some traits. He had some flashes against some bigger opponents. Bring him in. Let's see if we can put him in that rotation, in that room, have him bring what he brings that adds to our overall lineup. And I think that was a very purposeful pick. A lot of people think, oh, six round pick. You're just going on height, weight, speed at that point. Not true. I think Glee Davis has a, a future because of where he landed their last pick in round six this is the one that really surprised me pick 221 only one pick after the Clea davis pick Tariq castro fields the cornerback from penn state now Tariq castro fields it's not surprising that the 49ers picked him it's surprising that he was still there in the sixth round Tariq castro mm-hmm. fields as of last year was a guy that was being talked about late second round third round he was on a lot of preseason watch lists as one of the top corners in the country coming from a strong program not really sure what went on with him 
over the course of the year, but he fell off pretty hard that he was available down at the end in the compensatory picks around six. Very physical guy. We talked about physical receiver or physical corners that are going to get up in receivers' faces, reroute them, use their hands. Tree Castro Fields is another physical marvel from Penn State. Uh, has the certainly the stature to be able to do that. I think that's what they like about his game. Not sure why he dropped as far as he did. His play was not stellar, but I think he was better than a sixth-round pick. Let's put it that way. And then last pick, round seven, pick 262. Brock Purdy, the quarterback from Iowa State, guy we saw at the Shrine Bowl. Uh, tough kid, um, competitor. I He gets hot. He has some streakiness to his game. <laughs> You're uh, trying so hard to I say am, this shit right now. <laughs> I am. Brock Purdy, not my favorite quarterback in this class. But, again, you're taking a flyer around seven. If he gives you anything, that is like winning the lottery. Um, you know, he had some good tape. He This is the guy that put up all the yards to Charlie Kohler and and Chase Allen. And, you know, he's he has some pluckiness to him and i think that's what shanahan likes about him is he's a bit of a gamer and he wants to see if he can round off those rough edges but there's a there's more than a few of those so overall uh, you know the top i was more certain with the bottom was more hey let's take flyers some of them very purposeful like Kalia davis and Trick castro field some of them a little bit further afield but their scouts saw what they like they have a pretty good track record in the draft under lynch We'll see. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt on those back half picks, but the top, I really, really liked. If you told me three years from now, Spencer Burford's the best player that they drafted, mm. I would 100% believe it because his ceiling is sky high as an offensive lineman in general, not even just as a guard. Yeah. Um, I think that they're putting him at guard just to get best five on the field. Yeah, he could play tackle. Like if McGlinchey goes down, God forbid, he could kick out and play tackle and be just fine. Um, then they put like uh, Donovan West at guard, maybe. I, I'm just spitballing here. Yeah, their their interior depth is not the best, um, which I think is why why he will be a guard is because their interior depth is not the best at this point. But he can kind of play anywhere. He's super athletic, super physical, just tools on tools on tools was a four-year starter, including starting at tackle and guard in college, just beat the absolute hell out of everybody he played against, regardless of level of competition. You know, crushed the all-star circuit, crushed the combat, crushed everything. And the fact that he went in the fourth round in general, I was surprised that he was still there. It's probably because he's a UTSA kid. But keep in mind, he was a four-star recruit coming out of high school. <laughs> He had offers from all over the place, but wanted to go to UTSA. He was their highest recruit ever. So he's always been talented. He always could have gone anywhere. He just happened to be a roadrunner. So in the end, it kind of doesn't matter where you go to college. The NFL will find you. And in a few years, if he ends up being the best dude they drafted, would not be shocked at all. Uh, also very intrigued by Samuel Womack, uh, the corner from Toledo. Smaller dude, like 5'9", 180. So he kind of profiles as a nickel, but also really explosive, really fast. It's like 36, 37-inch vert, 4'3 speed. Played very well against Notre Dame. Only allowed one catch in man coverage against Notre Dame, which was the best team they played against and one of the best teams in the country, obviously. So I think that that game in general did a lot to help him. Um, I think early on he's not going to start at corner, but give, given his size and speed, 
I'd kind of, I kind of want it, or not size, lack of size really, um, but quickness and speed. I kind of want to see what he can do at Gunner early on just to get him on the field because, mm-hmm. again, hard to find dudes that can run 4-3, uh, let alone dudes that are used to tackling that can run 4-3. So I think special teams early on and then maybe work him in at nickel somewhere along the line. But, uh, yeah, the, the Drake Jackson pick could work, but like I said, it's the question is not about Drake Jackson's ability. It's about It's about the other third third that we don't have entire access to but when i asked around after the draft why he went at 61 it was because of that third third so we'll see if there was ever a staff that could kind of get the most out of drake jackson it's probably the 49ers and i don't think that they wouldn't i don't think they would have taken him without doing that due diligence and and belief that they can get that out of him and if they do man you get a fully armed and operational drake jackson with nick bosa and eric armstead and all that like that's that's scary, scary to think about. So, again, the draft, uh, their draft class specifically has a very high ceiling, but we might not really be able to uh, see it come to fruition for for a, a couple years, maybe three years or so, and then we'll we'll have a better idea. Uh, the UDFA class, by comparison, there could be some dudes that actually get snaps real early out of their UDFA group. They had one of the best UDFA groups at least based on our grades of these guys, one of the best UDFA groups of anybody in the league. Very strong group here. A lot of folks that we liked, few folks that we saw up close and personal. A couple of our favorites that we didn't necessarily see all that much of, but on tape were people that we identified pretty early in the process who we thought, hey, these guys can play. They have a kernel of something to their game. Tay Martin, the wide receiver from Oklahoma State, we did get to see him triangle, really tall guy, very talented. We both came away from that game going, why aren't more people talking about him? Like, he's tall, he's a dog with a ball in the air. Yeah, Great route runner, by yeah, the way. Yeah, he's not super like stacked physically built but it doesn't seem to slow him it doesn't seem to slow down his game at all he's very fast very tall great catch radius you know good route runner we were like okay so why isn't he higher up on people's lists um not really sure is my answer and not really sure why he went undrafted i absolutely would have spent a draft pick on him after watching him for a week in person uh 49ers are the benefactors Garrett Walston, the tight end from North Carolina, not a player that I expected to get drafted, but somebody I would have taken a UDFA shot on, had not a ton of production, but definitely showed the ability to be a little bit of a two-way tight end that San Francisco wants, and they like those guys. Sometimes they draft him, here they get one for free. Donovan West, the center from Arizona State. Same as you said, three years from now, Spencer Burford turns out to be the best player from that draft. If you told me that three years from now, Donovan West was the starting center for the 49ers and doing really well and up for a you know more expensive second contract, I'd be like, yep, uh-huh, we told you. He's one of the best zone centers in this draft. No idea why he didn't get drafted. One of the stunners of the draft for me. When I looked and the draft is over and Donovan West hadn't been picked yet, I scratched my head. There are so many teams that could have used him. Something going on there we may never find out. The 49ers were one of the perfect teams for him to go to. 49ers, Miami, um, 
few other teams that really specify outside zone or really push outside zone. Turns out Patriots are going to be one of those teams. Uh, <laughs> but Donovan Wentz landing with the Niners is just hand in glove. If he can succeed anywhere, it's there for sure. Jason Poe from Mercer I want to talk about. He caught some late buzz in the process as a small school guy and as a small, small school guy. He is generally uh, generously listed at 6'1". I think he's probably about 5'11 and a half. He's built like a fire plug, and he uses that leverage to just jack people around, and he's been doing it in camp. He is going to be a viable backup for them even at the NFL level, might start on the practice squad. But I also think with all the tape he's got out there, they probably don't want him getting poached at this point. And they are so thin. I don't know if they want to risk that. I don't think they can risk that. And that is the weirdest thing to say about a guy from Mercer. Mark my words, 49er fans, Jason Poe can play inside. He's not your typical NFL guard, but I think he can be an effective one. Jeremiah Gemmel. One of my all-time favorites in this draft. I think I probably said to you sometime in January after I watched him, I was like, Mm -hmm. Jeremiah Gemmel is a guy I would take a shot on. If he doesn't get drafted, he's a priority UDFA for me. I would probably even take a seventh-round flyer on him. I think D'Amico Ryan saw some of the same things I saw, and he reminded him, he reminded D'Amico Ryans of D'Amico Ryans when he was coming out a little bit. And he went, yep, I'll take that guy. If Gemmel doesn't end up on the practice squad for this team, I would be stunned. It'd have to probably be injury or something because I think he caught D'Amico Ryan's eye because they play similarly in college. D'Amico Ryan's obviously a better player in college, but Gemmel's got some similarities to his game. Really, really excited that he ended up. In terms of just downhill smack the shit out of people not like the best in coverage but boy in between the numbers he can he can hit you and he's got some range in coverage that's what because yes the pop plays more plays than not when i dug in he has more range than people think and everybody's got players like this where they see it more than other people do and other people go no they're one way or another because we all want to put players in a box that's what we're trying to do we're trying to understand oh this is a this is a plugger this is a you know this is a tree stump this is a flash guy Gemmel, i like his movement skills he's not he doesn't have the greatest in man coverage he's not necessarily great he has pretty decent zone awareness that's a different skill Anyways, that's what that's what I think we should always be specifying man coverage ability versus zone coverage ability because they are so it's not the different. same skill. <laughs> I don't want Gemmel ever doing man coverage for the rest of his life. No, he's not a guy that you're going to man up against running backs who are who run routes like wide receivers. He's not um, somebody you're going to have go real sticky on a on a move tight end, uh, but he can make plays in space against the pass. So anyways fascinated to see jeremiah gemmel's progress because he was one of my very early tabs and somebody i was much higher on than almost anybody i knew uh last one is leon o'neill the safety from texas a&m i think he i think they're looking for replacements for chikiski tart right they need they need somebody that can come downhill hit i think he's got that in him we'll see it's a flyer uh, but overall, you know, the fact that we talked about one, two, three, four, five, six of these guys out of this class as 
we can see their path. We can see if they develop where they play. It's a really good UDFA class. And the fact that we didn't talk about Calvin Turner means that Calvin Turner is going to be the number two wide receiver on this team within two years because that's just what Shanahan does to me. He didn't stick. Is he gone already? I know. I trust me. I wanted. I to liked talk. him a lot. Too. I like him a lot. Calvin Turner Jr. is the player we're talking about. He was not a UDFA. He was a camp invite. He played wide receiver at Hawaii. He didn't stick for whatever reason. I was kind of bummed. I liked him. We got to see him play, and I thought he was a productive guy that maybe would even get drafted. Didn't get drafted, but I was like, surely he'll stick. You know, as a practice squad guy. Man, that bums me out. I like me him too. I know. Yeah. I wanted to highlight him. I wanted to talk to him. He was first on the list, and I looked him up, and he's not there. All right, team floor, team ceiling, final segment for the show. This is our likely projected ceiling for the team and wins and our absolute projected floor. It's always a range with us. For me, I've, I've always been really big on Trey Lance, and so I am heavily influenced by that, by that belief in my pre-draft grade on Lance, where remember, I had him as a top three pick in the draft. I had him and it, I had Lawrence Fields and Lance going back to back to back, one, two, three in my mock draft that year. I loved Trey Lance. And I think, again, there's a lot of faith involved here. I think because of the dynamism that he gives you as an athlete, He's got a fantastic arm, believing that, you know, being on the bench for his rookie year and learning, understanding the 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 language of the offense, because Kyle Shanahan's system notoriously takes a long time for quarterbacks and receivers to learn. I think that being his second year in the system and getting all of the mental stuff out of the way, and now it's just about doing on-field reps and kind of, you know, learning the physical aspect of the offense, you know, being able to link your feet to the timing, the intended timing of the play, because everything's timing based in this system and just repping it out over and over and over again without having to think about, you know, what any of the 28 routes in this system are called. So, you know, exactly what's going to, you know, where the, where the receiver is going to be and, you know, what the adjustments are based on middle field close versus middle field open, getting all of the thinking out of the way and just repping stuff out, I think is going to be great for him. And because of that, and my belief in him pre-draft, I have their ceiling at 12 wins, which is definitely in contention for first seed in the NFC. Conversely, because we don't know a whole lot about Trey Lance in terms of he hasn't had a lot of snaps ever in his life, whether at the college level or, or, or the pro level. And because as as good as he was, or at least as high as his ceiling was as a prospect, there was still a relatively low floor compared to, say, Lawrence and Fields. Because of that and that element of maybe it won't work, my floor for them is eight, which is worse than what they did last year. There is a, a substantial possibility that he is not as good of a quarterback as Jimmy Garoppolo. But there is an equal or potentially even greater possibility that he's a way better quarterback than Jimmy Garoppolo. And we won't know until the end of this year. Hence, my range of below average 8-win team under 500 or 12 wins pushing for first seed in the NFC. I could 100% understand either outcome likely to be somewhere in the middle there but for me I just I, I believe so much in Trey Lance's talent and obviously the the amount of talent that the 49ers have put around him both on offense and defense 
this could very easily be one of the best teams in the NFL again and not just go back to the conference championship game, but go back to the conference championship game being played in their own stadium. This is my anchorman moment. What's that? I love Lance. (laughs) But I'm realistic about the fact that rookie quarterbacks, and before everybody jumps in the comments and says, but he's not a rookie. Rookie on the field. First year on the field is going to be better because he was around the team last year. He got on the field a little bit. The terminology, as you mentioned, is going to slow down for him. His physical potential is there, but he is so green as a quarterback. He has one season in college plus a game. He has very few snaps in his rookie season of live action. If you look at the snaps of all the other quarterbacks you mentioned, Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, it it's <laughs> Trey Lance has this many snaps of live action as a quarterback ever. Uh compared to them it's going to take a bit he's going to make some mistakes he's not going to be as consistent as jimmy g was at moving chains how fast he gets past that because that's what all quarterbacks have to do is going to be the difference for this team it may not be fast enough this year so my totals are two below you on both ends it's 10 win ceiling six win floor Because if it goes badly, and it might, if the interceptions start to rack up, confidence goes down a little bit, the pressure's going to rank up a lot because they spent a lot to go get Trey Lance. This is not a, if he works out, he works out kind of a moment. It's you moved heaven and earth to go get this guy, and you let your consistent quarterback, who again is taking you to the precipice of the Super Bowl a couple of times, go... And we're getting this, and the answer is, yeah, he is a rookie on the field. He is going to work through it. That's going to require a little patience. It always does. And there's not going to be a ton of patience because it is his, quote-unquote, second year because they did load up a ton of picks to go get him. And because everybody wants it to work. He's extremely talented. He's one of the best running quarterbacks I've seen that doesn't that's not me saying he should be a running back that's saying when he decides rightfully so to take off of that ball he reminds me of Steve McNair right Ooh, good pull he is a big physical dude that will run over you or around you he's he's rangy in the open field he's a very very talented runner and McNair was not a great thrower when he hit the NFL Lance is a better thrower than McNair was when he hit the NFL even with limited experience he's got a better arm he's got better touch than Steve did when he hit the NFL now is he as good a quarterback as Steve McNair Uh, that's that's a different thing we're gonna find out and I'm really excited for that but I think we've got to temper the enthusiasm for how good he is as a player with the fact that yes he is still a rookie in live action in the nfl and defensive coordinators are going to throw the kitchen sink at him and the 49ers might have to deal for sure and defensive coordinators might have to 
you know, offensive coordinator for the 49ers might have to dial back a little bit. And <laughs> Which say, one? Yeah, <laughs> three exactly. Of them. <laughs> I was just going to say, and I was going to come up with a name, and then I realized I can't read the list fast enough. Uh, one of those people calling plays for the 49ers might have to say, hey, we're, we need to get him some rhythm throws. We need to get the running game going, and then we can open him up a little bit. But if we have him come out with eight of the first 10 plays or passing plays, and he goes you know, four for eight with an uh, almost interception. How's that for the confidence of a young quarterback who's still learning a lot about the position in the league? So I'm going to temper my enthusiasm a bit. It's not because I don't love Trey Lance. I'm excited about Trey Lance and I want to see him get up to speed. If he does it quickly, I'm clapping out loud because they did a very good job getting him from where he was when he was drafted to ready to play in the NFL. If he comes out firing on all cylinders and this team starts demolishing people because we know the defense is going to be really solid and now the offense is putting up points at will and and big splash plays to Ayuk and Kittle and you know he's scrambling 40 yards for a touchdown like that's going to be guns blazing fun i don't expect it but if it happens i'm going to be cheering as loud as anybody i think this is one of the more fascinating teams in the entire conference because we don't 100 know what we're going to get but we know they have a lot of talent we know they have a great coaching staff and we know that their formula for winning typically ages well yes. in the sense that when the months get cold and uh, you know, when, when there's inclement weather and when you really just got to have it, they are traditionally a franchise under Kyle Shanahan that will get it done and will just straight up bully people when they need to bully people. So I believe, and, I really do believe. And we can't go the whole podcast without saying his name. They have the best lineman in the NFL. Oh, yeah, Trent Williams, 100%. They have Trent Williams. When it gets to December, it's like, hey, Trent, bury that guy, and we're going to run Trey or one of our many running backs behind you, okay? And he goes, uh-huh, and then he can do it. So Trent Williams for life. Real quick, th this was not in the rundown, but I want to ask you. More receiving yards this year, Brandon Ayuk or Debo Samuel? I'm going to say Debo. Because he's so talented as wide receiver. The whole running back thing really tilted everybody's opinion of him, and they started saying, well, he's great because he does both. He's great as a wide receiver. Like, just as a wide receiver, he is great. Not good. He is a great wide receiver. It'll be close, but Debo. I'm going to go Ayuk, but caveat. I'm stunned. They're, I'm they're, stunned. They're both going to be over 1,200 yards. How about that? Ooh. I When's like the last it. time you saw a receiving duo where they both had 1,200? Uh, again, I I think that's that's a high expectation for Trey Lance to hit in the first year because it means he's chucking 2,400 yards just to those two guys. Okay. I mean, good I pair to what, do it to, but... What did the 2016 Falcons do? Not to go down a rabbit hole, but I'm, I'm honestly... You're so going down a rabbit hole. Same offense, great quarterback, great receiving yeah. core. That I think they definitely had 2,000-yard receivers. Let me just double-check here. So they had... Oh, yeah, Devonta Freeman was there. They had... Wow, okay. Julio had 1,400. Number two on that t dominant 2016 Falcons offense was Mo Sanu at 650. I totally misremembered that. I thought they still had Roddy at that point. I guess not. 
guess not. Okay, so maybe they won't do 1,200, but I'm still going Ayuk. <laughs> okay, still you going go Ayuk. Got to believe my guy. All right, yeah, no, ride or die. I'm all about ride or die, and that's it's going to be fun to watch. You're right. It's going to be one of the more interesting teams in the league because of the variance that we talked about at the top of the show to put a nice close on it. All right, come back tomorrow. We're doing Cardinals, uh, and as I alluded to, if you thought the, the Niners had a lot of coordinators and assistant head coaches and associate head coaches, whatever the fuck that means, uh, come back for the Cardinals episode because they are the most confusing team I think we've talked about in a while for multiple reasons, and we'll get into it, but I, I, I'm at a loss. I don't know what to make of them. There's a lot to talk about. It's fucking weird. Anyway, we'll see you guys tomorrow, same time, same place, and uh, until then, later. Take care.